welcome into the House of L podcast. We are on episode 116. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Man, my guest this week. You talk about someone who has lived a lot of lives. She is straddling the fence on a on two very different careers at the same time. And I'm excited for you to hear this week's episode. Thank you so much for all the love over the last few episodes. And thanks to everyone who has been emailing in with suggestions for guests coming up on House of L or feedback on particular episodes that we've done so far. I know a lot of people love the episode with Matt Abatacola. People love the episode with my dad. I can just tell you, I, I just finished an episode with my mom. So I am very much looking forward to you hearing that in the upcoming weeks. I also did an interview with Jonathan Hood, which is going to be episode 117. Actually, I take that back. There's actually an episode that might be in between this episode and, and Jonathan's. I haven't fully finished it yet, but I got an idea and I got some friends that are going to help me. And I can tell you that that episode is going to be really, really fun. Thanks to everyone who listened to Sarah Kustak's episode as well. If you didn't, it's really good. It's 115. It's the last one that we did. And I highly recommend that you check it out if you didn't because she's incredible. I got another incredible guest coming up in a minute. Want to thank our sponsor, David Hochberg and Homeside Financial. 56david.com is the way that you can go check it out. So look, if you're looking to go buy a place, if you need to refinance your home or you're looking to buy a place this is the person that can help you he helped me like I, we've worked together and i'm trying to use sponsors that i have a relationship with and please take care of the people that take care of this podcast and do me this favor if you call david if you want to work with david go to 56david.com and then when you get a hold of david you tell him that you heard about Homeside Financial on the House of L podcast. Be like, hey, Lawrence sent me to you. He said you can help me, so please, please, please help me. David will run through walls for you. He does top-notch work. So 56david.com, Homeside Financial, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 1124061. And that's 56david.com. And tell him at the House of L podcast sent you to his doorsteps. As he says, make the phones ring. So if you're going through anything financially, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, if you're looking to refinance, that's the guy you want on your side. 56david.com. Let's talk about Courtney Hall. She is dynamic. And it comes across whenever you see Courtney Hall on the screen. That 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 dynamic personality comes across. I think it it was amazing that for a couple of years, she was balancing being on the air, doing hard news for channel nine and then turn it right around and bring being bright and bubbly over at bulls games. If you've been to bulls games inside the stadium itself, her and Justin Roman, do an incredible job of keeping everyone engaged during games. Now, Courtney's in a whole new adventure. She started this year 
hosting Chicago Today on NBC. It's a different type of vibe. It's a different type of show that she's doing. And this has been a difficult time, obviously, to do a show like that because of the pandemic and for her not to have Bulls games to be a participant in. So we spent some time talking a lot about those two things and also her her trip to Africa to find her heritage. One of the more fascinating things about her, she is extremely well-educated. We talked about that too. So sit back, relax, and strap it down. Episode 116 of the House of L podcast, NBC5's own, Chicago Bulls' own, Courtney Hall. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you too. I wore this hat just for you. I love it. I love it. Just uh, for you. I'm rocking, rocking. A, it makes I, me a little sad though. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. Everyone has been away from, from sports for forever. And I mean, for you, I mean, this is, this is a long time that you've been without the bulls, without there actually being like a conclusion to the season. It was, I mean, it was, so abrupt, obviously. I mean, but I, I remember the conversation I was having with Roman, my co-host, like literally the last game that we played, right? And it was just like, you know, they didn't want us to eat in the in the press room because I'm like, we're like, oh my gosh, really? Like extra. Next thing you know, no more games for the season. Right. So yeah, man. And then now to learn that we won't be back until December. He's like crazy. And, and, and even still, I don't know in what capacity I'll be back. We even heard. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting point. I've been talking with some other people that do like in studio in a stadium stuff. I don't know what, what it is that they're going to ask you guys to do or how in the world you're going to be able to pull it off. I don't, I don't either. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, you've been to the games, like we are, among the fans yes. you know and that's part that's what i love about it too it's like you know we're giving high fives we're shaking hands we're hugging and it it's i can't imagine being in a position where we're not doing that there's so much stuff that i want to ask you and i promise i'm, I'm going to come back to to you working in okay. the stadium okay. for the bulls but i i want to know what motivated you to to even get started in journalism in the first place Wow. So, you know, I graduated from college. I went to Georgetown and I was in the business school, right? So I graduated with a marketing degree after school, worked in an office and, you know, that was okay. But, you know, you know, like when you first graduated, well, not you, because you're, you've been so motivated and driven and knew exactly what you wanted to do. But like a lot of us who graduate from college, we're just like, floating around. We don't really know what our passion is, what we want to do. So I was just working in an office. I worked for the world bank actually. And it was really interesting. But during that time, I was just like, I can't, I don't want to sit at a desk all day. I don't want to like sit at a desk, look at spreadsheets and, you know, not really realize my impact within this large organization. So in just kind of thinking about what I wanted to do, I just thought back at like things that seemed interesting to me in the past. And I was in school when 9-11 happened and I was in DC. So I was able to see the Pentagon on fire from where I was living in DC. 
So that was hugely impactful. Not only that, but I had a, a lot of friends from New York and, and New Jersey and like that area who were, you know, really affected by it and lost people in 9-11. So I just remember that day and I remember um, just getting the phone call from my friend saying, you know, oh my gosh, our country's under attack. I'm thinking she's joking. I don't even know what she's talking about, but it was, you know, in the morning, I think I was still sleeping because, you know, college. Um, and I turn on the TV and I'm watching TV all day. I'm watching Peter Jennings. I'm watching, you know, just think these- Tom these, Brokaw. Tom Brokaw, these, these titans of the media industry reporting on this catastrophic terrorist attack, trying to keep it together, in some cases losing it. And I was just glued to the images and the information that they were bringing me in real time. And at that point in time, I just realized, wow, like what a job that is to be the person who gathers the information and, and boils it down so, and you know, gives it back to the rest of the world. Um, like a lot of power, a lot of responsibility. And so that was in my head, but I never, you know, I just proceeded with getting my business degree and I never really kind of switched course until after I graduated. And then I thought back to that moment and I said, well, if I'm looking for a job where I realize my impact in the moment, that's definitely that job because every day that you're on TV, you're accountable. You can say, okay, what did you do today? Well, I did this. You either liked it or you didn't, or it, it changed something or, you know, so I, I, that's what drove me to journalism, specifically television journalism. It's so weird whenever you talk about 9-11, cause I feel like there are so, so many similarities to what we've gone through over the last three months where you're in the house. And I remember watching the news it felt like for seven days straight trying to yeah. wrap my head around what it just happened. And at the time I was, I was working at the score and we were in the NBC tower and we were on the sixth floor of the NBC tower. And I remember them telling us, don't come in, go back to the, the, what we call the bunker on Belmont because downtown Chicago became a no fly zone. And the NBC tower was one of the buildings that was like on the list. So go after I finished my shift, like going home and watching the news, I feel like I was on my couch watching the news for forever. Me too. And to have college students watching the news, just glued to the news. We couldn't like, we couldn't tear ourselves away from it because I mean, we were scared. We were trapped inside. We were on lockdown. We couldn't leave our, our dorm rooms. Our, you know, parents are just making sure that we're okay, but we just had no idea what was going on. And we're in, and to be in DC, mm -hmm. the center of it all, it just, it just magnified it that much more. What made you choose Georgetown? So it's funny because, <laughs> um, I knew I wanted to go to school in a city, um, but I also knew that I wanted a campus feel. Um, I knew that I wanted, I, I I would, I've always been a big basketball fan. So I knew that I wanted some sort of campus life 
that was, um, you know, centered around a sport and basketball is my sport. I just, I love it. So I'm like, it'd be great if they had a great basketball team and that, you know, people rallied around that. Um, plus I knew that I wanted to be in a diverse city. And I mean, DC is chocolate city. I had a cousin who went to Howard. So it was, you know, it was the best of both worlds. And then once I saw Georgetown's campus, that sealed the deal for me because, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's just beautiful. Oh, I have. I've I've walked it, and I was like, "Why was Georgetown not on my list?" Like I, right, I don't right? even know why it wasn't on my list when I was thinking about colleges. But spending, I spent a day in Georgetown, and I'm like, "Man, this is, neighborhood is legit." Yeah. Like this was, it, is. It, it seemed like a. So you had a great time there. I had a great time there. You know, I had some, I had some of the Boston schools on my list. I had. You know, I had U of I on my list. I had, um, and then I had, you know, um, uh, Spelman and, and and I visited Hampton and, and Howard, of course. But Georgetown just had the perfect mix of everything I wanted. Like it was in a big city, but kind of in a neighborhood that kind of felt small and quaint. You know, it had its own little area. It was, you know, a medium size, it's a medium sized school. So not too big, not too small. It had, you know, as a black student, you always look at the breakdown. Let's see how many people of color you have at your school. It had a decent percentage given that it's, you know, a mainstream school. Um, so it just, it just kind of checked off all the boxes for me. What do you think? What was the most important thing that you learned at Georgetown, whether it's in a classroom or not in a classroom? Um, the most important thing that I learned, I, I think it's all, it all comes down to the people. Just experiencing the different people who you meet and who you interact with in college. So, I, I, and I think that, I mean, Dare I say that that's the benefit of like any college experience if you do it right? Because when it comes down to it, academics are ac academics. Like if you want to be a lawyer, you're going to learn how to be a lawyer. If you want to be a doctor, you can learn, you know, if you want to be on the radio, you're going to learn that wherever you go. But I think the a big benefit for me specifically with going out of state and to a school that drew people from all different types of backgrounds is getting to know people of all different types of backgrounds. And I, I'm talking about people who, you know, were so wealthy, they had like oil money, mm -hmm. that type of thing, to, you know, people who were there um, like on a scholarship and, you know, they weren't able to pay for any of it. So it just, it, it ran the gamut. And it's such an international city on top of everything else. Such an else. international city on top of that. I mean, the the speakers that we had access to, the internships that we had. I mean, it was just, it was kind of surreal. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah, my school had access to like a ton of things that other schools did not. Let's go back to basketball for a second. So you mm -hmm. loved basketball. Didn't you, did you play soccer? I did. I played soccer in high school. <laughs> so, so why not basketball? I mean, I know you're tiny, but. Okay. Lawrence, you're going to laugh at me for this. <laughs> why not basketball? So I was always 
pretty good at, at playing horse. My jump shot is not bad. Okay. I could never get the layup. What? Yeah, I know. The it was like that. I'm like, what do you I could never <laughs> I could never master the layup. <laughs> we had a basketball growing up, we had a basketball hoop in my driveway. You know those, you know, the, the ones at the end of the driveway, just like any suburban house has. And every time I would try to do a layup, I would like always like run into the pole that was holding up the basketball. <laughs> what? <laughs> so there you go. Okay. All right. That 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 explains it. But that explains it. So is did you have the love for soccer before that, or was? that just you know soccer was the sport that you ended up going to because you weren't good at basketball i think i think the latter i think um <clears throat> for me i went to fenwick um and i i believe the soccer team was one of those things that you could just like walk on if you have an interest <laughs> and i wanted to do something um a, a, some sort of team sport you know i have a huge respect for team sports uh i was never blessed with tremendous athletic ability, but um, I love team sports. And I think that they just add a lot to your experience um, in high school, college, or at any level. Um, so I knew I wanted to do a team sport and soccer was one of those things that was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And my best friend was doing it too. So we're like, let's, let's do soccer. Did you ever Plus score? The was kind of cute. <laughs> Did you ever score? Oh yeah. I had a game where I had, okay. And you know I wasn't that good when I say I had a game. So, I, <laughs> but let me tell you this. So this was a game that I remember my dad was there, and so it was it was it was a good game for my dad to be at. Um, and I had two or three goals and two assists. Wow! So, you know, in soccer, that's yeah, that's major. And so like my dad's like running up and down the field like with his like. Ty blowing in the wind like he's you know Pat Riley or something like coaching me and yeah it was a great game and it was one of those games that I'm like yes I'm so glad one of my parents was here to see this one um but yeah that's that's eight all of us need just that one moment where we shined you know that that one moment that one game where we 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 did did the damn thing you know? Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, yes. <laughs> All right. So Fenwick Fryer, Georgetown Hoya, then Northwestern Wildcat, correct? Correct. What what made you say Northwestern was where you were going to try to transition from from someone who had this background in business to then going into journalism? To be honest with you, um, once I identified after at my undergrad that I like that I wanted to do television news, I looked up, you know, what are like the best programs um, for journalism. Columbia came up. And then also, I mean, I know Columbia College has a good program as well. Um, but I knew that um, Northwestern came up over and over again, both for the program itself was was um, great. But part of it was at that time, I wanted to combine my business undergrad with journalism. 
and um, Northwestern had a program where you could work in New York. So I saw that and you could work in New York for your last semester. So I saw that and I said, oh, that would be cool. And so I just, you know, threw out a bunch of um, applications and, and I got in Northwestern. What were the similarities between Georgetown and Northwestern? And what were the, were the differences between the two? For me, um, well, they both have beautiful campuses. No I doubt. Mean, beautiful campuses. Um, Although I always wonder if, with my friends that either went to or teach at Northwestern, what the winners be like up there? Because it with I mean, it sits on the lake on the lake. Right. Right. And and, you know, I mean, undergrad is just very different from grad school. So it it was you know, I wasn't living on campus in Evanston. I lived downtown because part of our program was, you know, downtown. We only had um, I think I was only in Evanston for like a semester or something. And then our classes were downtown. Um, just, it was very strong academically. I met some very good friends who I still talk to um, at Northwestern. And, and it was really, really good at like placing, you know, it w- it was great. At, it had, a, it has a great reputation. So I did not have an issue getting a job afterwards. Knock on wood. <laughs> like I, uh, I was very pleased with that aspect. I always love to to ask this because I work now as a, a scholar practitioner at DePaul working mm-hmm. with, with students that want to go into broadcasting. Is there anything that you still take from your time at Northwestern that we can see you applying when you're on the air? Mm, that's a good one. Um My professors definitely, definitely hammered the hammered home, the unbiased, just straight what happened. Um, so I, I see in my own reporting and that to me, that's a no brainer as a reporter, you should aim to just be fair, be fair and say what happened. Now that doesn't always happen. And a lot of times there's a, there's a blurred line between news and commentary that the public viewers don't even really realize. So they'll, they'll say like, well, I can't stand so-and-so. They're so anti-Trump. I'm like, well, they're a commentator, so they can be, but the public doesn't see the difference. Um, I've been thinking very long and hard about this. And I had a conversation with some students on it. I don't think that media capital M does a great job of explaining some of the differences in the job. And I also think that because stations and newspapers are asking more people, less people to do more stuff that that blurring that wall that used to be, well, this person does straight reporting. Well, now that person that does straight reporting is also being asked to be interesting is often, often being asked, a social media presence, yep. which nothing will get you in trouble like a social media presence. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd say that like the the unbiased is the biggest takeaway that I've gotten. And that came mostly, honestly, from my time interning 
at Bloomberg News. Now, I was still a student at Northwestern, um, but my last semester, I was at, uh, I was in New York working for Bloomberg News, and they hired me on after. And when you're working for Bloomberg News, um, they send you through a boot camp to basically do everything exactly like how they want it, right? So we, I write stories, copy. I'd write copy for them. And they'd say, okay, take out all the adjectives. Now think about that. Wow. Take out, it's a, it's a great exercise to do. Take out all the adjectives in the news story I just wrote. And you just get what happened. Wow. I mean, I'm not saying to apply that across the board, but it's just an interesting game to play with no, yourself. You, you know like, what? Okay, write this story. <laughs> my my students next year. <laughs> this is a straight from Courtney Hall. Take out yes. the adjectives. That is going to happen. I had in 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 grad school, we were working on stuff like this. We were working on the idea of brevity at Bama. Mm-hmm. So I had my department chair actually gave this assignment. He's like, okay, so we want you to read something. Now write a thousand words. Okay, fine. Cut it in half. Cut it in half again. Wow. Cut it in half again. Cut it in half again. So you're now down to telling the story in 125 words. Like wow. That that's oh my god! Like you've just changed the game for my students. Yeah. <laughs> they are about to get an awakening when it comes to their adjectives. <laughs> Professor Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So that's cool that, that you had, that you were able to take that. What was the toughest assignment that you got when you got out into the field? Mm, when I when I started working for real? Yeah. Um, you know what? The entire, my entire first on-air job experience was so tough. It was such an awakening um because first of all uh practicing to be on live tv and being on live tv are two different things <laughs> um it's one of those things where you just have to be bad be bad again be less bad be okay be decent be okay again, be decent again, be decent for a long time, advance from decent to good, be good for a long time, and then work on the little nuances that can make you take you to the next level of being. And I, and I hesitate to say great because I don't want to ever make it sound like you stop growing. Um, but it was like one of those things just for me, Personally, it, it took just a hell of a lot of practice um, because I just was not good at being on TV. I think that that was the biggest issue for me is just being on live television because I'm, I'm one of those people who's like, I'm, I'm meticulous. I'm, I work hard and I can behind the scenes. I could like write the story and I could learn. But then when you have 30 seconds and you need to boil down everything you you know, and it's like live rolling. And then there's like people running behind you. There's somebody shouting, you know, all these different elements. Um, that was really hard for me um, to learn. When did you feel and, like you finally got comfortable? Um, 
I, I got to the point where it's like, I felt like the worst happened. I felt like I actually like completely froze and did not know what to say and was sweating. Like, I mean, Whitney Houston, upper lip sweating, like just like, <laughs> like did not know, you know, what I was doing. And, and then I and but it was like, it was like one of those things because they just, they just let it run. Right. So that's why I said, that's why I tell people any, any intern comes up to me, anybody who's young in the business, I say like, listen, you want to go to that small market because you don't want this all to happen in Chicago or New York or whatever. You need to work on your craft and be decent before you get to like a big city. Um, because yeah, I felt it got, it was the point where it's like, it felt like the worst happened. And I literally felt myself fall down and pick myself back up all on live TV, <laughs> like fell apart, pieced it together because the camera was still rolling, said what I said, my story, camera shuts down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Ah, uh, like so embarrassed. But the next day you wake up, you go back to work. And you, you're, you are better from that experience. That's, that's exactly. I am so much better from that experience. And I'll tell you, I started in Champaign and <laughs> I would have people around my, I, I was in Champaign for like two and a half years and probably around the two year mark or maybe year and a half mark. Uh, I had people starting to come up to me like, oh, we watch you all the time on WCIA. Oh my gosh, you've gotten so much better. <laughs> yeah like thank thanks you. thanks <laughs> i appreciate that i appreciate it i have a lot of respect for people who do straight news because you know th there's the joke the the running gag of the sports department being the toy department but i <laughs> but i do have a lot of respect for people who um as, as lauren jiggets would say have to knock on a door and then show someone a picture of a, a find a picture of a dead child to discuss. How hard are, are those moments when these are moments that I don't know people even think about when they're thinking about going into our business, they're thinking about covering a big political race. They're thinking about covering the president's coming to town or something like that. I don't know if they think about covering crime and covering crime locally. What type of person do you have to be to do those types of stories, to cover those types of stories, and then be affected enough to care, but unaffected that it doesn't break you? I think that for me, um, I mean, it's the worst. I'm not going to lie to anybody. It is the worst talking to somebody on the worst day of their life. And I, I remember this was, this is something that happened in uh, Champaign, my first market. And it was like a car accident. And it was like three or four people in one family wiped out. And they were just going out to like get a movie from Redbox or something. And it was just like so awful because there wasn't even like with crime, at least you could latch on to the justice element. You know what I mean? Like, you know, speak for your loved one. We're trying to get justice for your loved one. And I'm not saying that that makes their loss any better, 
but with something as awful as a car accident, that's just like one of those things that unfortunately happens that I was just, that was probably one of the toughest for me. And I just remember, you know, at their news, they had like a news conference saying what happened and I just lost it. I mean, I pulled it together to be on the news, but I mean, it was just the saddest thing I'd ever heard of in my life. So um, you just do it because that is your assignment. I'm just very much like, okay, what's the assignment? This is the assignment, do the assignment. And I always try to do it with sensitivity, um, but straightforwardness and with always the thought, I've always had this thought with every story that my purpose in telling this story is doing a public good. Like there is value in what I'm about to present on television at five o'clock. Um, so I never was asked to, and I never was interested in like doing exploit, like exploiting people or whatever, or just, you know, silliness. I've always felt like a strong value in the story and the reason that people need to know about it. What made you want to go to Africa? Mm, so I've, I've, I, Africa was, had, had, had been on my list, um, especially as an African-American, but you know, as anybody, you know, as a lot of people, it, you know, here in the States, it's like just a very daunting thing. Where do I start? You know, um, wh what's safe? Where should I go? Where do I start? Um, and I've always loved to travel and as somebody who's loved to travel and as an African-American, Africa has always been up on my list. Now I got the opening because I was, um, I got an assignment when I was working at WGN and we were, the whole morning team was taking DNA ancestry tests and I loved it. I'm like, oh, how cool. Like, this is really, really cool. I jumped on board. Um, they had a company called African Ancestry and it claims to be able to take, um, to get your mitochondrial DNA and compare it to other samples that they've taken from throughout Africa, other samples of mitochondrial DNA. And when they find a match, that will say um, what your African ancestry is down to the specific tribe. Now, of course I hear this, I'm like, this is amazing. I see that after Isaiah Washington did this same test, found out that he had heritage in Sierra Leone and actually ended up getting dual citizenship with Sierra Leone. And I mean, he just, I mean, he, he was all for it. So I got the opportunity to interview him about his taking of the test while I was waiting for my results for the test, right? I just did a like cotton swab in the mouth, sent it in. I get my results back and we did a big reveal. And I found out that my African ancestry on my, through my mother's side is Senegalese Mandinka tribe in Southern Senegal. So that's quite specific, that's right? That's super I mean, specific. Right. I mean, you know, I, as a black person to get that specific information is huge. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've gotten all my life. Uh, what are you? Mm -hmm. What are you? Are you, you know what I mean? I'm like, what, what do you mean what I am? I'm a human being, but what? Okay. But I'm like, I'm black. Like that, like uh, both your parents, both my parents are black. I'm from Chicago. What do you want to know? So, um, but I never had that specific information. It's just a mystery. 
Um, and it's so a mystery to most black people in the United exactly, States. Exactly. Um, so to get that and like, wow, this is amazing. This is, this is so cool. And then, so I'm, I am like, okay, Senegal. Okay. Looking up everything I could find, right. I find a Senegalese restaurant in the Chicagoland area, Badu Senegalese, check it out. It is so good. Get takeout from there, support them. Um, it's delicious. So I went, I met this guy, Badu, who's the owner of it. And we talked and we talked about Senegal and we talked about the food and I looked up stuff. I just want to know, is it safe? Is it a place that people visit? And, and I'm like, this is my starting point. I've been wondering where on the continent of Africa I should start. How about here? So I, I talked with a college friend of mine from, from Georgetown, my friend Danielle. And I'm like, hey, um, down to go to Senegal? And she's she's totally down. She's like my travel buddy. And and we decided to go. I brought a camera. I told um, my news director I wanted to do a story about it and that I'd shoot all my own stuff or, or hire a local crew when I'm there. And she was super supportive uh, of it and said, you know, you know, you don't have to use vacation days for this. Just do your thing. And yeah, I mean, it was huge. So we did it. And it was one of the most unbelievable trips of my life. I mean, the most unbelievable trip of my life because here's another element that happened. So Badu, who I just said had the Senegalese restaurant, he said, you know what? I'm gonna get a ticket and I'm gonna visit my family in Senegal at the same time you're there. So when you're there, I'll take you around to see everything. And he did. So he, he made good on that. He picked us up, he drove us, to, or he, he picked us up in a taxi and the taxi drove us into the wilderness, into this town that was like 100% Mandinka town in Southern Senegal. So think about this, this town is like 100% Mandinka. That's where like the Mandinka tribe lives. That's like their center. And it's in Southern Senegal. My DNA test says Mandinka people living in Southern Senegal. There is a very, high likelihood that like a distant, distant, distant cousin, relative, whatever was in that town. That's bananas. Isn't that bananas? Wow. It's like, and it's it, Lawrence, it was so crazy because to be there and to see, you know, their features. And I mean, it would be like, if you're, if you didn't know you were Irish and you had red hair and freckles and all this stuff. And for the first time you see a place where like, there's like a lot of people have red hair and freckles and you're just like, Oh wait, <laughs> this is where I'm from. It was so weird. There's such a, for African-Americans, there is such a, just, just a cut in history from when people were taken from Africa and then just landed here in the U in the U S we don't know what like, because we were kidnapped and we don't know anything about before. So to find out this information was just so crazy and so deep, so deep. I remember seeing photos and videos when you did it. And I had kind of the same realization as you. I was like, wow, like Courtney is Senegalese, like for <laughs> real, for real. Like you, and you see it, like you can, cause you know how yeah. we are. We think that we, everyone's black and we'd be like, oh, I can see it. I yeah. seen it. I see <laughs> yeah. it right there. 
But seeing you be around Senegalese people and going, wow, like that's, it must have just been just a, 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 a shattering experience for your worldview. It was, it was, it, and and you know another another piece of it <clears throat> as well. I went there and and um, and of course we visited the slave castles and and all of that historical stuff. I was just so embarrassed by what I did not know what what I was never taught what I never learned um I was embarrassed by um kind of our view of Africa um and just I'm just like wow I cannot even believe I'm just just learning this I'm just finding this out and this is it was so crazy and eye-opening and you know after that this is I'm gonna hold myself accountable because in that trip, I was so like amped, you know, like this is this. I was so energized by it that I'm like, you know what? We should have something like Jewish people have for birthright, where you have wealthier Jewish people put in money to send, like, it's between, you know, the ages, like teenage age to like age 30 or whatever. You can go on a birthright trip to Israel and learn about the history or whatever. We should have something like that for specifically, I'd say Western Africa or those, those countries that were instrumental in the slave trade. I'm like, how powerful would that be? Because I wanted everybody to experience what I had just experienced and to learn what I had just learned and to actually set foot in those slave castles, those slave quarters. And just, I mean, because I realized I knew nothing. I think that's a really wonderful idea. I, I, that, that connection there are two things that that I, I feel I think you're right. And the other one is I feel like Juneteenth should be celebrated more than it is. I feel like it should be a national holiday. And and who knows, maybe we'll see a movement towards that this year. I think this is probably going to be the biggest year for Juneteenth celebrations that we've seen in a very, very long time. But I also, since we're both really close with Afia, I remember being at her mom's funeral and feeling as American as ever, like sitting there and being like, holy shit, like I'm super American right now. Right. I, I almost felt white. Like, what, like, what, like, exactly. Yeah. Like, like it's in, and, and that connection is broken for a lot of black people because they can't trace their family back past a certain point. Like usually it ends up happening where there are a lot of families that can't, at least on one side of your family, like you, you can, you can't trace your family back far enough to have a connection with a country in Africa. And that's, that's difficult. That's why I think I, I, you know, I've been thinking about doing something and maybe that's what I'll do. I'll do the African ancestry. You should. I, I, I highly recommend it. It was to me, it was really powerful and and it gives you a starting point. And and to your point, yeah, that that connection is it's not only broken, it was broken and just ripped apart because I mean, think about all the bad things that were taught about blackness in Africa. And so it's almost like 
it was broken and then we, you know, we didn't want anything to do with Africa. Right. right? It's broken and then we play played a part in discarding our, our our African heritage. Like I I I think you're you're definitely on to something. Like I spoke I've spoken with people um older generation African Americans who were just kind of like, mm, why would you want to go to Africa? Why would you want, you know, even people who said like, well, we're not really African. I'm like, yes, you are. Well, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Your edges say we are. Yes. <laughs> yes. All, yeah. I, I had a, a funny text exchange with Afia because Afia was like, did you know that Halsey was black? And I was like, yes, I knew that Halsey was black. I did not know how I did not know Halsey was black. She posted something and I'm like, wait, what? And then I went on that deep dive of like looking stuff up. <laughs> and she's one of those people that you'd be like, oh, I see it. But then you're like, yeah. nah. And then you right. see her with well, her natural hair and you're like, hey. Well, that's how I feel like with, with Meghan Markle. People like, you know, Roman was like, I had no idea she was black. I'm like, those edges, though, she's definitely she's definitely got some black in her. Were you guys at, at Northwestern at the same time? No, I think she was there a, a little before me. OK. All right. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't sure. I, yeah. Because because if you were, then I know Fee would be super mad. Oh, I know. I know. Because you could have taken her out uh, a long time ago, and it would it'd be no problem for her to become royalty. All right, um, you you talked a little bit about having that freedom to go to Senegal and do that story. People that I've talked to that either work at or are alums of Channel Nine, there's a freedom there that I don't know that is in other places when it comes to exploratory stuff. What was that like for you being there? It was great. I mean, I could say it's, it's a fabulous place to work. Um, the leadership was amazing in that you're kind of just allowed to do you until you mess up. And that, you know, if you don't mess up, then just, you know, you got, you have a long rope, you got a long rope to do it. Like, sure, do it, whatever, you know? Um, so I appreciated that. I really liked it. It's, it's a, it's a show where you could, it's a, it's a place where you could show your personality, where you could be yourself. That's been my experience. A lot of the other places are a lot more buttoned up. Mm-hmm. Not naming any names, but um, you can say Channel Seven. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, like a lot more arm. And I think that I think that the numbers show you can be yourself. You could be fun. You can get information out there, and you could still win. Hmm. You know, I say anything else other than that. That's undebatable. <laughs> no, you can't beat that. Not not one bit. Your relationship with Roman, I love it. Because, you know, I love both of you guys. So watching you guys interact and the way that that's evolved with you at the Bulls game, I'm very impressed by it. How did you guys create that chemistry that you have? For Roman and I, it was it was very natural from the beginning. Um, he is he's just a great guy. He's a he's a nice guy. We just we gelled. We we are both two people who like to get along with people. <laughs> so 
Uh, so immediately we gelled. We like to have like what we call dressing room debates on, you know, just stupid stuff, silly stuff. We just, uh, and, and sometimes serious stuff too. We talk like immediately he just became one of my best friends. Um, so I'm so lucky to have, uh, to have found that. And we both have the same type of vibe. Um, it's a positive person. He is. Uh, I like to think I'm a positive person, even when, I mean, I've been there, I've known him through some very tough times in his life. Um, but he still has that positivity. You know that, you know, those people who just, you know, it's like, damn, like everything's going wrong for you, but they still have like a light. Yes. I think he, yeah, I, I, he has that. I think you're right. I think that his, he, he carries about himself. Um, there's a lot of star in him mm -hmm. and it comes out. Like it's very easy to recognize him and be like, Oh, yeah. you know, that guy gets it and he wants to bring people together. Like that's a, yeah. a very big part of his personality. Yeah. I like literally, I've never, if somebody says they don't like Roman, I'll be like, what? What's wrong with you? Like you know how is I mean? that even possible? That. Yeah. How is that possible? He's like such a nice like guy. What made you say that channel five was the move that you wanted to make? Well, you know what? I, it's, it's a great position being not make, it's a great position to be in, to not make a move out of duress. And that was the position I was in. I was, I was happy at WGN. I liked my role. I felt myself ascending. Um, I, I had had some setbacks there, but I still felt like, you know, gonna, you know, I was breaking out as a fixture in the 9 a.m. news. Um, and this opportunity came up, Channel 5 that I heard about, and I was like, okay. Now, I don't know if, like, around that time when all of this was happening, you know, Afia had just left WGN, she's my homie. Like, you know, so I'm like, oh, she left and, you know, branching out. And um, I was so proud of her and happy for her. And then I heard of this opportunity. I was planning a wedding. So I'm just like, let me just, let me just see if I get any, if this goes anywhere, I'm going to just, you know, whatever, put something together and send it in, whatever. And I got called back and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just kind of, List and I hadn't done lifestyle before. I was always hard news, and but but more of my personality came out through doing the Bulls Absolutely. and the WGN because it's a personality morning news show. So I had those clips that were like showed me being fun, interacting with people and whatnot. So those are the ones that I kind of sent in for this job. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think I was going to get it. I was just like, let me just try it, whatever. And the and the the thing that made me try it is because I had been at WGN for seven years. That's the longest I had been anywhere. And WGN is an established brand. They know what they're doing. They do it well. And I fit in a role within this larger brand. The NBC gig was something totally new. It was a startup. And the, what made me move is I thought it was exciting, the possibility of being able to shape this brand, this new show, um, and to have a larger role to have, I mean, I'm the host of it. So to have that role and that responsibility to do something totally new and step out, you know, it's a bit like being a member of like 
like a band and then like stepping out on your solo. <laughs> like, so yeah, that's what made me, you know, decide to like get my Beyonce on and just, you know, step out. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to go Kelly Rowland or Latoya Luckett, <laughs> you know? but you, yeah. but of course I, you, you know, went I Beyonce. Would be happy with the, I would be happy with the Kelly Rowland, but you know, let's, let's just, let's say Beyonce. Let's just go ahead. Let's just let's put Beyonce out there. What's yeah. the challenge of doing your show now? Because here it was, I remember seeing you guys because we were doing stuff for NBC Sports Chicago in the tower. And I remember seeing you guys and like the energy was just like you guys got off the elevator and I was like, shit, like what is happening right here? So what's the challenge of you guys are doing this show that's a lifestyle show. You're trying to build chemistry with your with your on air partner. And then there's a pandemic. And then there there is civil unrest in, in the United States. Right. How are you guys doing your show and putting smiles on your faces and the faces of your viewers? The biggest, I mean, aside from logistical challenges, which obviously logistical challenges, oh, you got to be six to eight feet away from everybody. And, oh, you can't do stuff in person. And I'd say the biggest um, challenge or where we've had to come together as creatives and as a team is to find the right tone. Um, we're a lifestyle show, so our job is to put a smile on your face and to like teach you how to do like fun stuff, like how to do a French braid and how to like cook stuff and like whatever. But at the same time, when the world is literally like falling apart, we need to acknowledge that and find the right way for our show to stay on brand, but address these very important issues that are happening in Chicago and the world. So um, that just takes a lot of open communication between us as a team. We're very honest. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very honest with my team. I'm very close. This whole thing, COVID has made our team closer. I'm so comfortable with these people. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a different level of comfort, right? Because our team is so small, it's six people. And we'll be on a house party and I'll be like, uh, we need to put a black person in the show. Mm. That's as, you know, that's as comfortable as I am, you know what I mean? And, and, and they receive it well, or, you know, and they're able to say, okay, well, how do we do this? And, and I think that it's those honest conversations that honestly are going to not only make our content better, but also if we could have these honest conversations with each other, just as people in the world, I think it will just make the world better. Um, so, you know, and they're very open about like, oh, what they don't understand, what they want to, you know, what, anything, any questions that they have, it's just, it's that, and it's finding the right tone and, and how to do, how to do a show that's supposed to be uplifting when the news that they heard right before it was depressing. <laughs> and, and I feel like your background in being serious news and being someone who's been on. I think that there's a credibility aspect that's really important that you're able to convey that there, there might be other people that are in that part of journalism that wouldn't be able to pull that off. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a delicate dance that you have to do. So what, what goes into doing it? I think for me, it's like, I'll always go back to, you know, that exercise, take all the adjectives out of the story. Okay. Well, what happened? You know, and it, 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 I'm always thinking about, okay, is, is literally sentence by sentence. 
is this leaning one way or the other is this and you know in lifestyle it's totally it's it's different like you can do stuff that's more opinion or whatever but my interest is not there i just think about like okay what's the utility of this segment what are people going to get from it what do they want to get from it if we do we want to explain um do we want to explain systemic racism we haven't done that segment yet but maybe we will and i'm like okay who are we going to get to explain this? Okay, and what are the honest questions that people might have to each point that our expert is making? And I think that it comes from just, um, I think diversity is a huge thing, not only in racial diversity, we always go to racial diversity, but you know, diversity of thought, yeah, diversity of thought, diversity of experience. Do you live in the suburbs? Do you live in the city? Do you, um, you know, that's who I want. I think we have a good team of people that have diverse thoughts. Um, and you know, with that, you know, you have somebody check you, you know, like, oh, not all people in the suburbs don't have any style or not all, you know what I mean? Like they will check you on so many elements or, uh, you know, Matt is a gay man and he will, you know, I am not a gay man. So I don't, you know, I might say something like, oh, that sounds a little like, uh, and he's like, well, why? Tell me. And I'll be like, okay, I see you're checking me now and I can handle it. And when you have a team that's honest with each other, you can have those conversations and figure out how you're going to be a messenger and get the most out of your segment. Well, this was delightful. I'm glad that we did this. I'm glad that we did it too. And I have to tell you, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you very <laughs> much. I appreciate that. That is very nice yeah. of you to say. I'm an old man now, 45. Oh, you're not. You, you still have the baby face. I know, but everyone seems to really like the beard. And I think the beard ages me quite a bit. That if I shave this beard off, I probably get back uh, like around 40. But the beard is like, you don't know what age I am. I could be 45 or I could be 60. You don't know. But that's that's the beautiful wild card of being black and not cracking. <laughs> right? <laughs> there's, like, I don't know. <laughs> there's there's no doubt about that. Well, thanks for doing this. And, and I appreciate uh, you taking your time out of your day because I know that that schedule they got you on is bananas. So. It's, it's a lot like, it's like working from home. It's like, there's no, there's no parameters of when it starts and stops. It's Damn. like all hours, but you know, it, I'm, Hey, glad to be working. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. We are done. Thank you so much, Lawrence. Oh, thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. This was fun. I miss you. I miss you too. I miss everybody. I know. Can we get like batter and berries when the yes, world opens back up? We can. I like that idea that we can definitely do that. Fee came over on Saturday and we hung out on my, I got built a deck. So yeah, it's a a fun little deck here in Hyde park. And we were able to socially distant, but still hang out with each other. So, well, Hey, if you do it again, call me, I'll come to, I'll come to Hyde park word. I appreciate you. Thanks for again for doing this. Thanks Lawrence. See ya. See ya. So that is Courtney Hall. I love talking with her. And I think that she's convinced me I'm going to do that African ancestry thing that she did. I, I think that that's a, an interesting way to find out more about who you are and where you come from. And I'm glad that she was so willing to talk about it. She's 
She's a lot of fun, man. I super sharp. Like that's the word that that comes to mind when I think about Courtney. Sharp. So I'm glad you enjoyed it, and please check out her show, Chicago Today, on NBC Five. They have a lot of fun, and you've now heard how that process goes. Let me take a look at your emails for today, and your emails are brought to you by our friend David Hochberg, 56david.com, Team Hochberg. If you're buying a home or refinancing, you can just call them. The phone number is really easy. It's 855-56-DAVID. Again, that's 855-56-DAVID. So if you're buying a home, you need to refinance, this is the guy that you want. You want his people. I can just tell you that when I did my home, when I bought my place, I worked with Anna, who's part of of Team Hochberg, they get stuff done so fast. They make it very easy, as easy as possible for you. So if you're tired of, of people kind of messing around when it comes to doing that stuff, this is the team that you want. This is the guy that you want on your side. 56david.com or call him, 855-56-DAVID. And when you call him, do me a favor. Tell him that you heard about him right here on this very podcast we want loyal listeners of the podcast that need help to be helped out by good people and david is that five six david.com homeside financial equal housing lender nmls 1124061 okay let me get to some of your emails before we get out of here on this episode this from john john says lawrence this is the second time i sent you an email the first was suggesting that you have sarah on your podcast Thank you for taking and using my suggestion and having her on. Great interview. That's from John. Yeah, I'm with you. She's she's terrific, man. And she's so, so nice. Like, she's really sweet. And no matter what, she has stayed sweet. And it's one of the things I, I love about her. You're not going to find anyone to say anything bad about Sarah Kustak. And if they do, we're going to beat them up because we know her and we know that she is salt of the earth type of person. This from Damien. He says, Lawrence, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I enjoy all episodes, but the one featuring your dad on Father's Day was very special to me. I appreciated the knowledge and wisdom Professor Holmes shared and how you masterfully structured the interview as a father and son conversation. The episodes inspired me to sit down and interview my dad. Could you please tell me what podcast software you use? The sound quality is consistently excellent. Thank you for your time, and I am looking forward to future episodes. Damien, it doesn't take a lot. And look, there are still things sonically that I'm working on. I'm tinkering with like every time. Like I kind of go back and forth now between using a handheld mic and a live mic. And I've been working with a lot of people, almost like a consultant lately on podcasts, which maybe will be the next thing that House of L does. But I think that one of the things that you want to do, one of the easiest ways to help make things sound better is to get yourself an audio board. If you get a USB audio board, it can help. So I we're all living in our studios now during this pandemic. I was doing this stuff anyway with the podcast that I do for the score. And and sometimes when I would front and back house of L, I would just do them from home instead of going to the studio. 
It's not quite studio quality, but it's pretty close. And the technology is not that expensive. So I would say the first thing you need to do is get yourself a USB audio interface. Like a, a, that's what you're hoping to do. I use Adobe Audition. Some people use GarageBand. Some people use Audacity. I like Audition. I've been working with Audition for a while. And play with it. The other thing would be, I would say record low. Not like super low, so this is not inaudible. But I found, especially over the last couple of months, even in using my audio interface, if I record a little bit lower and then boost it up before I post it, it sounds better than if I'm recording high and then take the amplification down. So record low and that's it. It's, it's really easy. People make it complicated. I was talking with a friend of mine who's getting ready to start a podcast and I was trying to explain to them, like it doesn't have to be perfect. One of the things, the most valuable lessons I learned in grad school was the idea of the MVP, the minimal viable product. That the idea is to get that first one out there and then when you hear it, you'll know how to make corrections and each generation of it will get better. So now that I've got what almost 120 podcasts under my belt with this particular pod, I know what I want it to sound like and what... I don't want it to sound like, but these things, my, my audio board costs $80, literally $80. And they're easy to get off of Amazon or wherever. It's not like you can go to radio shack anymore, but you can find an audio board that you can play around with for less than a hundred bucks. My microphones cost $20. You can buy a blue Yeti if you want. And they're really good. I think the difference in sound is negligible. But it's a bit of a status symbol. So if you want to go do that, go do that. But you could outfit a podcast where you're doing stuff off of Zoom. You could outfit a podcast for less than, I could do it for probably 250 I already have a Marantz and that's what I use to play the, the, the intro and outro music on. But 250 bucks, you could be completely outfitted. And buy a... Buy an editing audio software. I like Adobe Audition. That's just my preference. Other people like other ones. Like they're not paying me or anything. It's just the what I'm used to using to putting the podcast together. Thanks for what you said about my dad. He's great. And he, <laughs> I'm trying so hard because now people want to read his book and his book is out of print. He's like, I think I have some copies in the basement. So for some good friends, I'm going to get copies of his book. Because they wanted to read it after the interview. And if you like the interview with my dad, you're really going to like the interview with my mom. That's coming up in, in a couple of weeks. You'll be able to hear that. So thank you. That is super nice of you to say that. I'm enjoying that you guys are emailing again. House of L podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's House of L podcast at gmail.com. So. We are done with this episode, but I am here to tell you that there are more episodes on the way. Jonathan Hood and I sat down for a little over an hour and we talked wrestling and all sorts of stuff. And I got a special episode coming up too. 
this week that I think that you're going to love, especially if you're someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s and enjoy pop culture. I'll just leave it at that. Thanks to our sponsor, 56david.com. Call David Hochberg, 855-56-DAVID. When you call him, tell him that you're looking to get a mortgage or a refinance and that you heard about him on this podcast. It's very important that you do that. So please do that. Homeside Financial, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 112 I'm out of here for this week, at least part of this week. Thanks to Courtney Hall for her hard work. I appreciate her being so fun and friendly. I'll see you next time. Hey.